A weekly subscription to Coming Up Next, the podcast, is absolutely free of charge. All you have to do is head to comingupnext.com.au and select the platform on which you listen to podcasts. You then hit the subscribe button and it's just going to download for you each and every week automatically, streamlining your podcast listening experience. Welcome, welcome my friends. Welcome back if you're a returning listener and uh, thanks for stopping by if this is your first time listening to Coming Up Next, the podcast. I'm uh, of course your host Alistair Marks. This is my show, weekly show that's been going on uh, for coming up to four years now I guess. What are we, episode uh, 186? Uh, And on that note, and before we get into this week's episode, uh, I wanted to say thank you and express my gratitude to my guest from last week, Renna Owen, uh, the Once Were Warriors and uh, more recently Siren uh, actor. It was uh, an episode that kind of harked back to the uh, older days of coming up next, a lot more spiritual sort of content, a lot more um, sort of big uh, philosophical ideas. looking, I guess, more at meaning of it all, why we do what we do, as opposed to sort of some more specific uh, minutiae of, uh, of one's career. We do get into the career, her career, of course, a prolific career. Um, you know, she's uh, the only actor to have worked with, or sorry, the only actress to have worked with uh, both Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. So head to comingupnext.com.au to find that. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you consume your podcasts, as well as the entire back catalogue of uh, of philosophical rambles. My guest this week, as we roll into another episode, Alexander McKenzie. Uh, he is a well-known Australian artist, painter. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's, I haven't spoken to too many uh, artists in, in recent times, but um, Alexander is, uh, is an incredibly prolific uh, artist. Uh, it's, uh, we have a really interesting conversation about, you know, the life of an artist, what it takes not just a, a painter, but any kind of art form, what it really takes to pursue that, the kind of sacrifices that, uh, that, that one has to make in pursuit of, uh, of your passion, what you love to do. And um, I guess when you, may, when you hit that breaking point, how you get through it, um, you know, the usual kind of stuff we speak about. So let's get into it. Episode 186. Coming up next, the podcast with Alexander McKenzie. No, I've moved studio, so I'm literally in an empty room with um, with with concrete floors and bags of building materials everywhere. Yeah, right. How long have you been working out of there for? I, I haven't yet. We moved like the week before Christmas, so I haven't. We've sort of been trying to get it ready. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Mm. It must be exciting to kind of be building a new space for yourself. It is, but it's quite daunting too because whenever you change studios, you, you, you kind of have to become accustomed and feel comfortable in the space before you can start making any work. Yeah, okay. How many studios would you estimate that you've worked in or had yourself? Oh, well, I don't know. Over the years, probably 10, I suppose. Wow. Because you yeah. your, your first studio was like a custom-made room when you were like 11, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, that's right. She, uh, mum, mum, let me paint in the in the family home, but I think she got so fed up with the mess and the smell <laughs> that they they relented and actually built one in the backyard. So, um, you know, much more than the shed. It was sort of you know builders and proper roof and and all that, uh, but quite surprising really when you when I sort of had my own children and, and realised what that means to to invest and, and spend money on, on someone so young. So, you know, I'm very – all credit to her that she managed to – thought that was a good idea. She must have thought I had something. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I suppose, you know, there's you, you often hear about artists, and I mean that in a broad sense, who kind of knew from a young age. But, I mean, to have mm. a kind of understanding at 11 and to have that kind of support uh, yes. is, is absolutely a gift, I suppose. Yes, very, uh, very young. So I am uh, always had that conviction that that's what I wanted to do. I mean, there was other things that I was interested, I suppose, as a, as a child in, but, but painting was, was always there as long as I can ever really remember. Painting was the kind of forefront of what I wanted to do every day and I was just um, stubborn enough to kind of keep going and, and not give it away. Yeah, I love uh, speaking with people on the show about whether or not they remember the first time that they did their art. Um, so do you remember what your first experience painting or drawing or, um, or just, I suppose, creating in general? Do you remember what that first experience was? Well, there is uh, drawings of mine that um, date from when I was about three and four, sort of childhood drawings that mum, mum kept. Um, but I don't really have a lot of memory of those. I mean, they're obviously mine, but I, I don't recall them. I think it was it was a little bit later for me uh, when I first started collecting this magazine edition, one of those sort of buy one episode, one sort of leaflet per week and build up the whole set kind of things that, that existed in newsagents. Yeah. And so I somehow got put in front of me um, those, um, you know, Monet, Manet, Degas, Van Gogh, etc. And I began collecting these and I became fascinated with the lives of these people and their work and, and the sort of impact that that had. And that led me to, to sort of emulate them and try and make paintings like that, I guess. And I, you know, used to, used to sort of draw out little mini Van Goghs and little mini Gauguins and little sort of versions of all these kind of famous artists. Um, and I must have been, I don't know, seven or eight, I think, when that was happening. Right. Was there a particular period of, of art that really struck you? Because a lot of those artists are sort of around that impressionist, post-impressionist sort of pocket. Mm. Yeah, that was probably the first kind of hook that, that grabbed me, the, that, that whole post-impressionist period. Um, but then I sort of rapidly 
you know, ate up and spat out every single famous art period I could, um, I could get my hands on. So, um, chopping and changing through history in no particular order, you know, just con- consuming and looking at, at everyone I could, um, before at some point, I guess, trying to make my own work, um, that, that was something, um, that was something unique, but that took, I mean, that, that takes a long time for, for everybody, I think. Absolutely. And you grew up in Cronulla? Uh, well, I, not, not overly. We, we moved a lot when I was a kid. So we lived in the country quite a lot and um, Dad was a sailor. So we sort of moved around quite a bit. Uh, it wasn't until right at the end of high school that I ended up in Sydney. Right. Uh, in Cronulla area, yeah. So I suppose was there... I was going to ask if, if you felt like there was a really kind of artistic community, but I guess if you sort of moving around a lot, you're kind of experiencing a lot of different flavours of life at that early age. Mm, yeah, that's right. But a lot of landscape too, a lot of nature, a lot of kind of open space and, and you know, in, in the Southern Highlands and in the Hunter Valley and things, you know, you're really kind of left to your own roaming around. And in, in the 70s too, you know, parenting was much different than it is now. So you, you didn't really see your parents on it. No one was worried about security or safety and things. You just kind of took off. Uh, <laughs> There's a very different time. Climbing trees and looking at nature and throwing rocks in ponds and, you know, harassing, you know, sheep and cows and breaking things and all sorts of kind of crazy stuff that, that I don't think I'd let my own children do. But we were, <laughs> we were certainly encouraged to leave our parents alone. Sure. So mm. I suppose... Did you feel like while you like going through school, obviously your parents are supportive because, you know, they let you paint in the house and created mm. your own studio for you. Did you mm. feel like you were in an environment that sort of nurtured what you wanted to, to, to achieve and, and, and aspired to do? Yeah, but yes, mum was very liberal in that. She, you know, she's a, she's a creative as well. And um, so there was always things around to, to kind of make a mess and you're allowed to make a mess and there was there was access to everything and you were never told to to kind of clean up or or put that away you were you were allowed to do it and you know you could leave you know glue all over your clothes and paint all over the floor and no one really cared um so i think that was in hindsight quite quite significant because um you were that experiment and that kind of freedom to to try things was 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 really well. I was going to say it's really encouraged, but it was it was also not discouraged. There was no inhibition, I suppose, or no feeling like I don't want to make a mess because I'll have to clean it up. Yeah, no, not at all. And, and we lived in these kind of crazy rental houses um, when I was a child that was associated with my father's work, um, and they were. They were kind of owned by the government, but they were derelict um, old estates. Um, so it was not unusual for there to be, you know, 20 rooms or something. So um, you could have a painting room. You could have a, a, a ceramic room because, because there was only the few of us <laughs> living in this house. So my sister and I shared a ballroom as our bedroom for wow. quite a while. Um, that must have been so a bit weird. So it was quite strange, really, when you think about it now, where, you know, crammed into little tiny terrace houses and things. Yeah. Uh, at what point did you start 
learning technique and understanding that you know painting wasn't strictly something that you did off impulse uh the big eye opener for for me would be art school and when you when you arrived at art school you know and discovered that there was other people that was that were interested in the same thing other people who were as excited about looking at painting and making paintings as you were um and then you sort of start this strange process where, where you look, where you become aware of other contemporaries. I mean, all the, all the work that I looked up at up until then was um, was historical. Um, so, the, the, so the, my first encounters with kind of current painting in the late eighties, what what people were doing, and then you know, as a sort of direct result of that, saying, well, well, hang on a sec, what am I making? Maybe I need to look at my ability look at my skill how do i improve my handling you know what's the sort of work that i want to make and how do, how do i make that better uh, that was a huge kind of shift i think for me as it is for most people that end up arriving at, at, any, at any sort of art school yeah was that at um because you went to city art institute first that's a right fairly short-lived stay there Yes, I'm, I confess I'm an art school dropout. So <laughs> I liked the idea of that, but but hated the uh, the whole the way it was run and the system. And so I, I had a very short stay, and I ended up at a, at, at the Julian Ashton School, which is a, a very um, very kind of strict painting and drawing school. They don't they don't do anything else. Um, and I always knew that's what I wanted to do, so I, I didn't want to waste time making work about um, about video or installation or, or photography. Right. So it was a fairly simple decision, I suppose, after a few months to leave uh, to leave City Art Institute. Yeah, it was more of a sort of storm out hissy fit, to be honest. Right. Kind of, <laughs> they told me to start drawing with my left hand, which I, which I was completely furious about and stormed out of the class and and, and left during an enormous um, uh, thunderstorm. Um, and, I, and I took off and I, I literally ran out of the class uh, into the rain um, and I, I, I took off uh, down Oxford Street in Sydney in the pouring rain and there was one awning out. Um, so I headed straight for that awning and it was of an, uh, one of the old bookshops that used to be there. And in the in the window of the bookshop, as I stood there, sheltering from the the deluge, uh, was a poster for the Julian Ashton School. Have a very uh, have a very dramatic, a very dramatic, and there it was. And I and I got on the bus uh, and went down and enrolled on the same afternoon. So, what was the first day like then when you did go to um, to Julian Ashton? Was there a feeling? Was there an apprehension that this might be another? kind of uh, similar experience or were you quite set that this was where you where you were meant to be? No, I, I was thrilled. I, I, I immediately saw a whole bunch of people who were on the, exactly the same wavelength as me and um, I settled in straight away and we drew and we, we drew for eight, ten hours a day for, for three and four years. So it's, it's very intense but it, what it does is it teaches your teaches your hand to do what your eyes and your mind is thinking. So uh, you learn to build those those kind of connections between your hand and your mind and, and, and really get control of, of your work. 
so, so it's a hugely important kind of skill builder, like scales, I guess, for, for, for musicians. You need to have a, you know, a grip on, on the scales before you can start to work at your own thing. And that creates like a very deliberate and disciplined approach to, to the craft. That's right, yeah, and and so that was, I guess it was, it was quite helpful for that too. That that I became used to working that kind of um, that amount of hours and that kind of diligence and and which was not a chore for me. It was entirely enjoyable, um, but I guess for some people they don't like to, to work that that amount of hours. The the problem was not that. The problem was paying for it, of course, um, because it's incredibly expensive, and I didn't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> So I made a um, uh, a deal, or I got offered a deal by the then the, the then principal of the school um, for what was what was called affectionately the garbage scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> the garbage scholarship meant that they'll let you come to the school, provided every day you do you do the garbage and you sweep up the studios and and take the bins out. So that seems like a like a fair deal. Yeah, so I did that for three years and, um, and that paid my tuition. Were there any other challenges that, you've, that you faced, uh, maybe in, a more, in more practical terms, um, mm. while you were studying there? Well, uh, I, I, I guess, I mean, it's quite a while ago for me now, um, but I think, you know, learning, learning the skill and learning the craft is was the primary focus of of the school um, but what of course comes after that is deciding what it is you want to say with your work and i think i think that was that was a, a big a big um challenge for lots of artists um who go through that that kind of system they might have all the skills in the world but if they don't have anything to say with their work or if they don't know what they want to say um, then the work doesn't develop and evolve into into anything meaningful. And how did you decide what it was that you, or where you wanted to begin at least with what you wanted to say? Well, I, I took a studio, you know, um, in, in in York Street in Sydney, and um, and began working. So you, you kind of, you, you know, I think I've, I've said it in in some of the other quotes that you, you try on. Let's lots of different hats, you know, you try with lots of different ways of working and you experiment with different things until you find uh, your own voice and, and find your own um, way of, of, of using the language of painting. I mean, it's a very kind of subtle balance of, 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 the, of, of what you want to do with the work, but... There's no shortcut to it. You, you have, it has to kind of evolve in my mind. You know, it has to has to kind of grow as you grow and, and develop into something. And that there's no there's no way around that. You literally have to just make work. And you you know your first year of making work, you just you're probably going to make a lot of junk. And <laughs> the second year might not be much better. But by the time you've been doing it for a few years, you know, hopefully, kind of it it, it can become something that. It's not meaningful necessarily for somebody else, but it's meaningful for you. And it feels like what you're seeing on the page, what you're seeing on the canvas is, is, is what's inside your head. Um, and it, maybe it happens easier for, for some other people, but for me it was a, a real long, 
process that that probably took after art school ooh, maybe maybe close to ten years I think right. before it started to really happen. And was there like a watershed moment, or was it just the kind of accumulation, and eventually you realised that there was mm. a kind of consistent theme or message? Yes, yeah, the latter. Yeah, it, it, it did take that long. The, the first, the first experiments in painting um, were were disastrous. You know, <laughs> really, <laughs> despite despite the study and despite all the energy and the childhood and all that, they were they were terrible. Um, so you just had to sit down and make as much work as you possibly could um, before it started to kind of, you know, come out of the rock, I suppose, like a sculptor. You know, it start, starts to appear, you know, you start to get closer to it and it, and it starts to unravel and then and then it, then it becomes your own. Are you deliberately, uh, like, trying different things are you kind of um very consciously making certain decisions or are you letting your subconscious and your impulses do most of the work i i, I think at the time you know there was a bit of both i was trying different ways of working and, and experimenting with different things i mean we used to we had this crazy studio and we used to do you know make paintings with on, on glass and on steel and, and, and stick objects to them and um, on found materials and, and try and make paintings that were three-dimensional and we did all sorts of kind of mad stuff. Um, but it, this, of course, looks nothing remotely like the sort of work that I make now. But I guess it was important because it let you it let you go through that kind of maze to come out the other side of what, who you really want to be? I mean, maybe, maybe artists a little bit like a little bit like all the rest of us that that we we sometimes try to be other people, but but it, it does take a while before you're you're honest enough to kind of just genuinely be yourself. Yeah, and to to really step into that, I guess, and yeah, and, and to and embrace it. It and not be not be shy about it, and not be you know. Have it, not make excuses about it, but just to just to be who you are and and what your work is, and just just to own that completely, you know. And what was it specifically was that that helped you to uh, establish and assert um, and embrace your own voice? I, I suppose the, the 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 perhaps the shift for me was that I that I started to. So to really get this um, this kind of image or vision, for want of a better word, of what the work was, um, and it would, you know, I've spoken about this before. It, it, it kind of arrives in my mind's eye, um, completely out of the blue, more often than not, um, as a resolved image. And I, I guess I, you know, happened a few times. You know, and I'd kind of like a dream state, I suppose. You you try and recall it, but but not be able to. And then after a while, the image would just hang around, like really strong in my mind. And I would endeavour to make a painting that was was that image. And I battled for a long time what that actually is. Is it, is it a memory? Is it a kind of you know a recall of something? Is it a sort of 
imagination of, of different elements of things that you've seen or um, uh, that, that sort of mixed with something else. Um, but it was incredibly, incredibly strong and, and incredibly clear, the, the, this kind of image. Um, and so the paintings became, became based on that. Right. These kind of, um, these landscapes were, I guess, would you say it was like a kind of intuitive, um, like there was this kind of burning creativity, I guess, or this kind of burning uh, image in your mind. And initially mm. you, you kind of didn't follow the impulse, but then uh, you, there was, there became, there was like a shift to an understanding that actually this is, this is the gold. This is the good stuff. Yes, that yeah, that would that would be fair to say. Um, uh, and there needed to be, I guess, a, a, a marriage of of, of me um, owning that that inspiration, um, and then the skill level to be able to put that down. And so that both of those things were happening. I guess you know, now looking at it, at the same time, um, but they needed to come together. You know. Um, that the, the the handling the physicality and, and the craft of, of of handling the oil um, together with with really accepting and being able to recall that image because like like a lot of inspiration I guess for, that, that musicians have or you know it starts with a just a sort of a passage or a series of notes um, just a brief melody but. Um, you, you have to develop that and you have to kind of build that into something uh, more substantial. I was reading a, in your biography, you talked about uh, spirituality being a kind of paramount element of your work. Mm. Um, mm. And, you know, you speak about God as being a character in your work, uh, particularly mm. over the last sort of decade. Mm. How did that sort of come about was it always there just saying that you articulated later or was it something that you again sort of intentionally chose to dip into well i th i mean there was always a, a a strong kind of um old school presbyterian scottish religion in our family I, from when i was a child but um the 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 way that has kind of impacted the work is more to do with that image I believe that that and, and you know I read a lot about um, uh, other creatives and how they how inspiration came to them and what what we think that is and, and we don't, don't really completely understand it but the only way um, I can really sort of comprehend it in some sense that is that it's from outside my myself. It doesn't. It doesn't originate with with from me. It's come from somewhere else. And if you extrapolate that idea into a, into a spiritual kind of context, is that it's come from 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 God or from the spirit of God, and and that that imagery must um, must have been given to me at some point. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of fumbling, I guess, for words in, in a little way because my my understanding of it is is as um, as 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 limited as anyone else. I, I'm certainly no expert on it, or I don't attempt to kind of 
um, preach about it or anything, but that's what I believe is happening, is that, is that the, the ideas of the work, like, you know, like Mozart, like Beethoven, like hundreds and hundreds of other greater uh, artists throughout history, is come from outside your own self and you, you have a responsibility, I guess, to to put that down and to to make that from the from the imagined into the reality. And I guess with the work in the last 10 years or so that's been my 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 primary goal is to try and interpret um what that image is um and then to to manifest that into into an actual real hands-on work. So when you speak about God uh, and, and spirituality, what's, what is your, I suppose, understanding or your, your definition of, of what that means? Is it kind of, is it a greater uh, being? Is it a kind of energetic force? Or, I mean, is it all of the above? What, how, how do you kind of interpret what your experience of that is? Uh, well, I, I, you know, I guess um, I'm partly informed by that kind of, you know, conservative upbringing, I suppose. Um, but as an artist, I think you you kind of spend a lot of time deeply thinking about things. I mean, artists generally spend far too much time alone um, in the studio, so you do tend to kind of ponder and think about and all that enormously, you know, even when you're working. So... Really, it's um, it's that you know I've always had a strong sense ever since I was a child that that we are part of something much much bigger. When I you know when I when I look at the the landscape and and the vastness of it, or when I look at even, or the minutiae of it and the, the kind of size of of miniature animals and plants and and the, the, the ocean and everything that I look at, I'm constantly reminded about how that we are such a small part in this kind of huge, vast world and, and that my way of comprehending and understanding what that is is that this has to come from a force or a God that is much bigger than and much broader than anything we can possibly understand or get our head around yeah like a the big kind of cosmic yeah uh, it, it, it's so vast and so microscopic at the same time that it, it, it i think it's outside of completely our understanding i mean the things that are outside our understanding does we don't need to we don't need to dismiss i mean i don't, I don't understand why a plane works but i'm i have enough confidence to go in <laughs> how, do you, how do you cope with turbulence <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad, but I'd rather not. Yeah, uh, sweaty palms. So, it's, so, it's, so we're able to kind of to kind of accept things, and, and um, in some sense, as as human beings, so I'm quite comfortable and quite happy in accepting that that uh, the idea of creation and the creator, um, and thus, you know, the idea that that I'm creating in some sense is. Is 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 a direct kind of relation to that that 
that it come the work and the, the imagery comes from from somewhere else. It's mentioned, uh, you know, the the idea that artists spend a lot of time on their own, mm. um, and I guess in a I'm speaking in in broader terms at the moment. I've sort of been thinking a lot lately about what the life of an artist, like what it really means and some mm. of the things that, you know, I went to film school mm -hmm. while I was at film school, we'd have, you know, there'd be kind of uh, two different types of people who were working in the real world who'd, who would come in. There'd be the ones who were very optimistic and upbeat and then there'd be the ones who would come in and basically mm. tell you how you're not going to earn any money and how it's, you know, it's a difficult life. Um, and I like to think the reality is probably somewhere in the middle. Right, yes, yes. But there are certain sacrifices that I've experienced, particularly, you know, uh, as I'm sort of getting to my mid-30s and mm. reflecting. There's, there's definitely sacrifices that you're kind of not told about that mm. you kind of undertake by virtue of just following the path of an artist. That's right, yes. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, are, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, what, it, what, what the life of an artist is? Well, I, I think there is there you you either are completely mad and want to do it, or you don't. I don't think there's any kind of learning of it or or um, want to. It's it, it it's in, incredibly difficult. Um, you know, I think I think the painter might rank slightly higher above a poet as far as the income, but it's not particularly good. <laughs> uh, uh, so you either have to, it has to be in you, it has to really be deep down in you in, in order for you to be so kind of bonkers to want to try and make a living out of it. Um, for me, you know, I, I, after art school, which was four years, there was probably another 10 years after that that I didn't make a cent. Um, so, you know, you're in that, that period where you're in your 30s and your friends are kind of starting to buy houses and have children and travel and do all that sort of stuff and you're you're you know earning your money from your from from Saturday working at the pub um, so there's a, a huge financial sacrifice in that um, the the other sacrifice that you know maybe doesn't get spoken about so much is that you have to you have to sit down and do the work and that means being for most creatives um, you you have to be in the studio. You have to be alone. You have to do the work. You have to sit at the keyboard. You have to sit at the easel. You have to labour over the manuscript that, to get the work done in the first place. Um, that that sacrifice means that you know you're not out um, um, in the world doing all the things that other people do, and that's that can be tough too. Um, and then the emotional sacrifice, because of, of course, even after you've done all that work and you've spent, you know, a decade sort of, put, you know, working on your craft and coming up, you, you finally turn up with your exhibition. It can be can be crushed or dismissed by somebody in in a sentence, um, and then you have to kind of build, and pick up the pieces after that. So there's a lot of up and down. So if you, you know, if you don't really, really want it, I, I mean, I, I teach a little bit, and my students sometimes say to me, you know, do you think, do you think I've got something? You know, do you think, do you think I could be, think, think this one's working? You know, and um, while the the kind of positive teacher side of me, of course, has to respond, of course, the other side of me is just thinking, you know what, I don't think so. It's <laughs> too hard. 
just give it away. And I think, you know, to your point, there's, you know, for, for all of the kind of sacrifice, there is that the reward side where you are, you know, making the life that you want out of the things that you want. Mm. Um, so mm. that's huge. And there, that is, that has always been, always been the goal, I guess, for me, what, whenever I was kind of, you know, finding it tough or whatever, the work couldn't sell any work or, um, I was stuck doing three or four days a week at some horrible job that I hated. The goal was always to, to kind of be able to support yourself from what you really wanted to do. I mean, someone said to me, you know, when I was a teenager, said, first thing you want to know, um, is what it is that you really want to do. That's the step one. Step two, work out how to make some money from that. If you can marry those two things together, if you can make some money from what it is that you really, really want to do, um, there's a formula for life, you know. Mm, absolutely. And for me, all I really, really ever wanted to do was to, to make pictures, to paint. Um, and I still want to do that. Tomorrow, I still want to do that. Probably the day after that, I will still want to do that, um, rather than just about anything else. You're a fair way into you know, your career since you were 11 and deciding that painting was what you wanted to pursue in life. Um, mm. You know, you've been a finalist in the Archibald for, what, six out of the last 11 years? Something like that, it's yeah. Incredible. Uh, how... how I mean, when you started out, what would your idea of a successful career have been and how has that evolved to now? How would you define what a successful, what's the next stage of success for you? Ooh. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I, ha I had a very big survey show 2018. Um, that was a huge milestone um, and looked back at all the, what's happened over the last you know, 30 years of painting. And talked about all that that kind of stuff, and we we published a pretty fabulous book that went with the show, um, and that was you know quite quite extraordinary for me really to be able to to kind of go to a walk through that show and to see pictures. I mean, the survey show I described to somebody is kind of like a retrospective, except you're not dead. So, that, <laughs> so you're looking walking through the show, and there's work from from last year, but there's work. Chronologically, so you're looking at pictures from when I was. I think the earliest one was about 1985, wow. 84, 85, um, all the way through to to a, a new work that I made, especially for the show. So that really, I guess that was a that was a real kind of um, uh, acknowledgement for me that that that. Yes, I have been doing this for quite a while, and yes, it has gone, you know, quite well. Um, even in the planning, it, it was a little bit of a um, um, a little bit of a, a, a unreal experience. It wasn't until the work was actually up on the walls that it kind of hit home. But yes, you know, I've managed to I've managed to do what that. That guy said to me when I was 15, I've managed to make some money out of the work and I've managed to keep painting every day for 30 years. Um, so that was a real, that was, that was quite, that was a wonderful experience, yeah. There's, a, there's something in that moment, I'm not sure if you had that experience, but I've had it in the last couple of years feeling like this is a marathon, it's not a sprint. Yes, very, yeah, well, 
well said. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if, if you're trying to, to, if you're going into it thinking it is a sprint, you, 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 you've got the wrong idea. Yeah, it's a long, long haul. Um, and you really have to love it and you really have to want to do it. Um, but people who are, who are driven to make art, who are driven to make music, who are driven to write, that, they are driven to do it. There's, you know, you either have that within you or you don't. Absolutely. So what would be the next kind of, uh, the next landmark for you um, as you're sort of continuing on? Well, I, I, I believe that you've, as a painter, you never really kind of make that work that you are aiming for. You know, I have, I had, like we spoke about, I have this, this kind of visions that, that arrive about what the paintings are and then there's this long, long, long process of making them. Um, then there's, you know, the exhibitions and, you know, hoping that, that the, the show might do well um, and, and, you know, rolls around and around. But you never quite make the work that you're trying to make. You never quite get there. There's always something about it that bugs you. I think if you made, if I actually made the painting that I'm trying to make, um, you, you'd probably stop. So it does, it does serve to keep you going. Um, but I guess I'm trying to, I'll be, I'll be spending 2019 trying to make that particular work, trying to make that work that's in my head and, um, and make that ultimate kind of, wonderful painting that, I, that I've been trying my whole life to bring into reality. Mm. And I suppose, as the, uh, you know, the, the older you get, the further into your career you get, the more mm. you accept a kind of evolution of, of ideas and a natural or organic mm. kind of um, yeah, the materialization. Work yeah, the work grows and evolves and develops. I mean, on a more practical sense, you know, I'm, probably, I'm, I'm trying to work out at the moment how I can go and look at some um, some more gardens. The last few years I've been going to look at Japanese gardens and Chinese gardens and um, probably the next couple of months I might head to um, Spain and Portugal and have a look at some of the um, some of the gardens there to you know, see what see how that feeds into the work and what, what kind of paintings sort of come out of that experience. That sounds great, man, and um, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your day to, uh, to have a little podcast ramble. Um, I, uh, I end all the conversations uh, on a little bit of an upward note. Um, <laughs> last question. I've been trying to th- figure out a way to kind of reframe it for 2019. I don't know why. I feel like... Time for renewal? Yeah, time for renewal. I don't know. I've been doing it for three and a half, yeah, three and a half <laughs> years now, so... I guess if it ain't broke. The question is, what makes you silly? So if you have any ideas on how I can um, reframe that or reword it. What makes you silly? Is yeah. That what, what makes you silly? Uh, whiskey is probably the answer to that. <laughs> what, is, what, is, uh, what, what, what in particular happens when Alexander Mackenzie has some whiskey? Uh, there's, there's, there's far too much singing and dancing. Right. Any go-to <laughs> tunes? Any go-to tunes? Well, I, 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 I'm a classicist um, and spend all my days listening to classical music. But, but if um, I get a little bit too, um, a little bit, one too many little drops of lark, uh, then we, we, we could bust out into anything, and, and we, we may end up with um, the Bay City Rollers. Who knows? <laughs> well, thanks so much, Alex.
Pleasure.